1 Corinthians 15, and this morning we're going to be focused on really verses 12 through verse 20, but I'm going to re- begin reading at the, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, uh, chapter 1, uh, chapter 15, uh, verse 1, and I'll read through verse 20. So 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 1, once again listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ has preached that He has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the first fruits, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you, Father, for your rich blessing and your abundant grace toward us, and especially for the gift that you have given to us in your holy word. And so we pray that as we come to this passage this morning, we ask that you would give us understanding and insight to see the truth that is here, to be able to apply it to our lives, to be encouraged and build up, and to be confident in the faith that we have in you as we look forward to the fulfillment of the many glorious promises that you have made for us and to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we just pray now, Father, that you would truly bless your word to us, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. 
First Corinthians chapter 15 is a chapter of great hope for every Christian believer. Because it makes such clear application to our own lives and of not only the truth of the gospel, but especially of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may wonder, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for, for me, for, for us as Christians? Well, it means everything to us, as it's an essential component, co- component of the gospel. And this morning, we're going to see just how essential it is. It's in the first 11 verses here, Paul has really worked to establish the, really the, the historical fact of Christ's resurrection. That Jesus Christ has been raised again, and He had been seen by well over 500 people who can even, at this time of Paul's writing, could many of them could still give an eyewitness testimony to the fact that they saw the risen Jesus. And then in verse 3 and 4, Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And right there, Paul sums up the Gospel in, in a nutshell. And this is what Paul received, and this is what he preaches, and this is what the other apostles preached, and this is what is being preached to you today and every Lord's Day. That Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross for your sins, and yet He gained the victory over sin and death when He was raised from the dead on the third day. As clear to us as this may seem as the truth of, of history, the truth of eyewitnesses, the truth of our faith and the foundation of our, of our faith, we know that there are many who doubt this truth. In Corinth, at the time of Paul's writing, there were those who had doubts. Throughout church history, there have been those who have doubts. Even in our own day, there are those who have doubts. Doubts about Christ doubts about the gospel, and doubts about the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Some will try to justify their doubts by just dismissing this whole thing as, as a fairy tale. It's, it's, oh, it's kind of a nice story, but it never really happened. Others will try to justify these doubts by clinging to the God of science, saying that it's scientifically impossible for a person who was dead to come to life again, whether it's been for three days or three months or three years. It's just impossible. In fact, you can't prove it by the scientific method in the laboratory. So then it must not be true. And so they reject it. Well, some try to justify their doubts and their unbelief by just allegorizing it all. Right? They, they deny a, a literal, physical, bodily resurrection and assert that what the Bible teaches is to be taken metaphorically. That Christ's resurrection is, is just a metaphor to, to show us that we too can triumph over the difficulties that may plague us, either personally or even as a society. So the Christ, Christ's resurrection is just a metaphor to show us we can overcome bad habits, we can overcome poverty, we can overcome racism. And sadly, many churches today, this is exactly 
what people are going to hear. But it's a perversion of the truth. Because it denies the literal resurrection, the literal bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they speak of it just as a metaphor. People will be challenged to, oh, you can do it too. You can overcome your trials. But they sadly miss the whole point. Well, still there are others who will reject or even have doubts, stir up doubts. And although they might say, yes, there is kind of a resurrection, they'll talk about sort of a resurrection of sorts, but it's, it's not us as ourselves. And instead they talk about reincarnation, that we're uh, reborn into something new and something different. So if we have done well in this life, well, then you can be reincarnated as a king in the next life. As someone with great wealth or great influence. But if you not, have not done so well in this life, well, then you may return as a bug. And your only hope then would be to learn your lesson for the next time. So the next go around, you might turn out better. And so these are just a sampling of the varieties of, of doubts and denials about the resurrection that we find today. And again, we find the evidence of these doubts and denials even within what calls itself the church. And so this morning we're going to confront these doubters and these deniers. We'll, we'll take their doubts to the logical conclusion and we'll see what they reveal. Paul says in verses 3 and 4 and then again in verse 12, that it is preached among you that Christ died and rose again in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Now, the strange thing here is that it doesn't seem to have been an issue with the people in Corinth. They really weren't struggling with the fact of Christ's resurrection. What was being questioned was the hope and the promise of the general resurrection of all believers that will take place at the time of Christ's return. But Paul points out the absurdity of this, of this conjecture as the two are very closely related. He says, if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, well, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? It seems a little absurd, doesn't it? They say, Christ has been raised, but there's no resurrection of the dead. And to emphasize this absurdity, Paul, for a moment, grants them their wish. Kind of like George Bailey in that the classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Right? George gets his wish and he sees what his life would be like if he had never been born. And so what if there was no resurrection? What if we could see what things would be like if there was no resurrection? And so here Paul turns things around on these Corinthian doubters and shows them what their lives would be like if there was no resurrection of the dead. He shows them several consequences, and it begins at verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Right? The very first consequence is huge. It's so big that Paul even repeats it again in verse 16 for emphasis. And simply, it's this, if there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead, then how could it be possible for Christ to have risen from the dead. 
And again, Paul emphasizes their inconsistency. And how can you say that Christ rose from the dead if you believe that the dead do not rise? It's self-contradictory because we know Jesus was, was dead, dead, dead. Right? He, he was truly dead. He didn't pass out or, or swoon or, or fall into a coma as some modern critics would contend. No, He breathed His last and He died on the cross. And for this we have the eyewitness testimony of the Roman soldiers who were there overlooking the crucifixion. John records in John 19, verse 33, But coming to Jesus when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. See, they didn't have to break Jesus' legs to to hasten his death because they could tell that he was already dead. And of course, we think about these soldiers, that it's very likely that they have already been on crucifixion duty many a times before, And they certainly would know a dead man when they saw one. This is even brought out further. Mark records in Mark 15. And Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time. And this is when uh, Joseph of Arimathea and uh, Nicodemus had come and requested the body of Jesus. Uh, And Pilate wondered if he was dead by that time. And summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion... He granted the body to Joseph. Right? So here the centurion who was uh, overseeing the crucifixion, he testifies before Pilate, the, the Roman governor, that Jesus was indeed dead. And of course, this, we know the centurion would have spoken the truth because his own life would have depended upon it. He wouldn't have blatantly lied to the governor because then he would be dead. No, he truly declared that Jesus was dead. And so if Jesus was dead, and the dead do not rise, well, we can therefore conclude, as Paul does here, that Jesus couldn't have risen from the dead. It would be impossible, or at least ludicrously uh, inconsistent to think so. And again, the, the idea is absurd. Now, as if this zinger wasn't enough to straighten out the doubters, Paul presses the point further. And he lists several more consequences of of holding doubts about the bodily resurrection. In verse 14, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. So again, he's working from this this progression. If If you say the dead don't rise, well then Christ hasn't been risen. If Christ hasn't risen, well then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. And so what's been taught to them, even the essence of the gospel itself, Christ dead, buried, and raised again, according to the scriptures, all this was preached and taught, but it was empty. It's vain. It has no substance. Yes, true. it's true. Words were spoken and and maybe read, but, but they amounted to nothing. It was just a bunch of hot air. And if the content of the preaching that is the gospel, that was empty... Well, then so is our faith, which is based on that gospel. Our faith is also vain and empty and and amounts to absolutely nothing. So then if there's no resurrection of the dead, the gospel is totally subverted and it's gutted of any good news. And so here we again see the centrality of of Christ's resurrection to the gospel, to, to our faith and to the Christian religion. 
See, if you take away the resurrection, you take away everything and you're left with emptiness and nothing at all. Now, why is this? You see, because Jesus rested everything. Right? All His claims and His promises, even the securing of our salvation, He rested on the hope and the promise of the resurrection. Jesus is able to save people from their sins because He now lives and because He has now overcome death. Well, how could He do that if He's still a dead man? He can't. And so the subversion presses even further. Paul uh, testifies in Romans 1, saying that Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness. And so if the resurrection was to declare Christ as the Son of God, but the resurrection didn't happen, well then Jesus wasn't who He claimed to be. He was a liar. He was a false prophet. His promises to His disciples, His promises that He would return to them, that He would send the Holy Spirit, that He would go to prepare a place for them, that He would put away sin and death once and for all, these all would be lies if there's no resurrection of the dead. And so again, the good news is just gone. There's no good news. Now does God lie? Never. Did Jesus Christ lie? Absolutely not. But to deny the resurrection of the dead would be implicating that Jesus and even God Himself didn't speak the truth. Friends, are you willing to call God a liar? I trust not. Thirdly, if Jesus and the Father didn't speak the truth about Christ's resurrection and the resurrection of the dead... Well, then those who proclaim that Jesus did rise from the dead by the power of God, well, they're now false witnesses. We see this in verse 15. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. So Paul confesses here that if there's no, no resurrection, then he and all the other apostles are exposed as liars and peddlers of deceit. Paul and the other apostles claim to have been sent by Jesus himself to proclaim that he is indeed risen. But if the, if the dead don't rise, well, they've borne now a false witness, and so they violated the ninth commandment. They didn't speak the truth as they claimed. The fact that they claimed what they received was from God makes it really even all the more vile and reprehensible. Because again, they're either making the whole thing up on their own, which would then be taking God's name in vain, so a violation of the third commandment, or they're making God out to be a liar. Well, consider what Luke contends in the opening of the book of Acts about Jesus and about the apostles and the Luke 1 verse 3 says, To whom he also presented himself, talking about Jesus, alive, after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now an infallible uh, infallible proof can't be wrong. 
Right? That's what the word infallible means. It's, it's completely reliable. There's, there's no denying an infallible proof. Unless, of course, it was all a sham, a, a setup. Which indeed it would have been if the dead do not rise and Christ has not risen. Now again, we have to ask here, why would the apostles then believe this lie and promote this lie? Why would they risk their lives for something that wasn't the truth? And even if we think about the Apostle Paul, you know, Paul was quickly advancing in the ranks of the Pharisees with with his knowledge and zeal for the traditions of the elders. So why would he throw away all that and risk his life and follow after a lie? Unless, of course... They were foolishly deceived, and that would certainly be the implication. Well, then who would have deceived them? Well, it could only have been Jesus and ultimately God. For if the dead don't rise, as God foretold, and Christ didn't rise as He promised, well, then they've been deceived. And if they've been deceived, well, then so have we. And so have, uh, has anyone else who's claimed the name of Christ, who, who gathered together every Lord's Day to remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all been deceived. And friends, if you share the gospel with anyone, then not only are you deceived, but also you're now a false witness, and you're actually seeking to deceive others. Are you willing to be a false witness by saying God did something that He didn't really do? Or are you willing to risk your life for a lie? That if God said He would do something, but He never did it. Because that's what you do if there's no resurrection of the dead and if Christ did not rise. Well, Paul continues to mount the pressure. Verse 17 And if Christ is not risen, well, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So again, it's taking the implication a step further. If Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is worthless. First he said it was vain or empty. Now Paul is saying that it has no value whatsoever. It's fruitless. And we know, according to James, that a fruitless faith is really a dead faith. And of course, a dead faith is really no faith at all. Then Paul drives home the most powerful point. See, if you deny the reality of the resurrection of the dead and if Christ did not rise, well, then you're still in your sins. And if we're still in our sins, then we're still under the condemnation and the wrath and curse of God. If we're still in our sins, there's no hope for our being reconciled with God if Christ didn't rise from the dead. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, we are lost forever. Consider Paul's words in Romans 4, verse 25. Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. You see, if Christ's resurrection assures our justification, that is, our being made right with God because He paid the penalty for our sin, well, then we are... Where are we then if Christ has not been raised? Well, then we're not justified. We're not made right with God. We're still in our sins, and we will die in our sins. 
Now imagine, if the dead don't rise and Christ hasn't risen, well then changing Paul's words in Romans 8 verse 1, then there's now nothing but condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the point of the cross, Jesus' payment for the penalty of our sins, becomes nothing if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. Because there's no way then for the effectiveness of His sacrifice to be applied to us. The atonement hasn't been made complete. A price has been paid, but there's no way to access it. And the final enemy, death, hasn't been overcome. The wages of our sin remains. Death. And death for all who have sinned and fall short of God's glory. If there's no resurrection, then we're all still dead in our sins and transgressions. And we have no life in us. Friends, are you willing to remain in your sins and endure the consequence of death and eternal separation from God? You see that you have a dead, fruitless faith if there's no resurrection of the dead because it's all worthless. And it gets worse. Paul continues verse 18, Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. See, if the dead don't rise and Christ hasn't risen, well then those who've died already trusting in Christ well, they'll be destroyed under the wrath and curse of God. Now here, falling asleep is a metaphor for having died. And, and it brings to mind, really, the comfort that the Christian has in death, knowing that it is as though they are, will be resting forever in Christ's everlasting arms. But you see, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then our loved ones who have died in Christ well, their hope was in vain. It was empty and worthless. They died in their sins. And they will endure the eternal punishment that God has appointed for sinners. And then we may wonder, well, what did claiming the name of Christ, if that were so, what did claiming the name of Christ and following after Him all their days, what did it benefit? How did it benefit them? Well, really, absolutely nothing. What comfort do we have for our, for our loved ones who trusted in Christ, but are now dead. We, we don't have any. We have no consolation, no comfort, no reassurance that those who may have suffered in their last days are in a better place. The weak are still weak. The cancerous are still in pain. The blind still do not see. And the lame still do not walk. And if anything, their suffering has increased, not diminished. Because they're still in their sins. There was no healing in the wings of the one who had promised them because he didn't rise from the dead. He didn't rise because there's no resurrection of the dead. No hope, no comfort, no consolation. Again, friends, are you willing to endure that kind of suffering? Finally, Paul brings this misery to a close in verse 19. And he says this, If in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most pitiable. The final consequence to denying the resurrection of the dead 
if our only hope in Jesus Christ was for, for this life, a better life now, well, we are such a pathetic bunch of sad, sorry losers. See, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then we would have been better off hoping and putting our trust and our confidence in princes and, and other men and idols and false gods and maybe in treasures or, or wealth, power, prestige, even in our own works. Because what would have been the difference? We would have ended up in the same place. If you even now still claim the name of Christ, consider the cost that Jesus tells us that will come when we follow after him. Matthew 16, he says, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, there's a cost to discipleship, a, a cost to following Jesus. And many of you maybe have experienced some of these very things. You can lose family members, you can lose friends, you can lose money and riches, pursuit of your own pleasure, whereas some young folks may, may look at it, you may have been den- denied fun in your life because you profess Christ. And fun is quotes. Indeed, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead... Look at all that you've missed out on. You, you were taken by a sham of, of self-denial. Right? Taken as a fool. Because you didn't live life to its self-indulgent fullest. As many in our world do today. If your trust is in Christ alone for salvation and there's no resurrection of the dead, well then you and me and all of us were pathetic. And of all people, we're to be pitied most for our gullibility and our foolishness. Brothers and sisters, if there's no resurrection of the dead, and if Christ didn't rise, well then this is our sad, sorry state of affairs. In fact, we might as well just pack it all up and, and go home right now. Right? Let's, let's go. Let's just board this place up. We'll turn in the keys. I mean, if we leave right now, I'm sure we can beat the Baptist to Cracker Barrel. So let's go. Seriously, let's go. Don't you get it? If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then it's all been a big joke. And the laugh's been on us. Right? It's time to, to move on, to, to just go. What's wrong? Why, why isn't anybody going? I'll tell you why. Because you know the sermon's not over yet. I mean, it's getting there. But you see, we've only considered verses 12 through verse 19. And we haven't gotten to verse 20. You know it and I know it. And all I can say is, praise God for verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But now, this, this marks a, a dramatic change and a shift in, in Paul's reasoning. Right? But now, but now, Christ is risen from the dead. Glory, hallelujah. He is risen and risen indeed. The gospel is sound. And our faith is rich in His grace. 
It hasn't been in vain. God isn't a liar. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We certainly don't bear false witness when we proclaim the gospel of Christ. We have been justified and made right. We have been washed. We have been sanctified by Christ's shed blood. The victory over sin and death has been accomplished. We're no longer in our sins, but we walk in faith. There is there now no for no condem- there is now no for no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The condemnation's been lifted in Christ. We're no longer in our sins, but we walk in faith. We do have great comfort. We do have consolation and hope even for those who have died trusting in Christ because we know that they didn't believe in vain. That their souls live even now with Him in heaven. And one day their bodies will be raised from the earth when that glorious trumpet sounds at His coming. Our cost of denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily and following after Christ, it wasn't in vain. We haven't lost out in this life by being obedient to God's law. We continue even now being formed and fashioned in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead of being pitied, we will truly be glorified in Him on that last great day. And all this because Christ has been raised from the dead. Praise God. But there's, there's more. The last part of verse 20 gives us one final hope. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now the first fruits was an offering that was made at the beginning of, of the harvest time. The first fruits of the harvest were offered to God. They were set apart and sanctified to Him out of a thanksgiving for the bounty that they trusted would bring about, uh, that the Lord would bring through the rest of the harvest season. Well, Christ being raised from the dead is the first fruits, as the first fruits is really the assurance that there will one day be a most bountiful harvest for which we can even now give thanks. Because it's been assured through what Christ accomplished. And that great harvest is the resurrection of the dead on the last great day. It's assured for those who have already died in Christ Jesus, and it's assured even for us here today, if the Lord would so tarry. Beloved of God, Christ's resurrection gives us the hope and assurance of our own glorious resurrection unto eternal life in His most glorious presence. For all those who would trust in Him alone for salvation, even those who who may have doubts, even here today, this wonderful gospel message of, of Jesus Christ, that He died for our sins on the cross, that He was buried, and that He has been raised from the dead on the third day, This gospel calls you to humble yourselves before Him. To repent and turn from your doubts and your sins. And to call upon His name alone for salvation. Truly beloved, believe on Christ Jesus. And you will not be disappointed. Not now. And most certainly not on that last great day. To the glory of God alone. Amen. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for the great truth that Jesus Christ, our Savior, has.
has been raised from the dead, that even now He lives. And because He lives, we have the full assurance of the hope and the comfort of our salvation that has been secured and fully accomplished. As we hope and trust in You, as we, as we commit ourselves to being Your disciples, that we're not missing out on anything by seeking to serve and glorify You in all, thi- all, in all things. Because you have a great inheritance in store for us. We have that great and sure and certain hope of our own resurrection from the dead on the last great day when we will be ushered into your glorious presence, both body and soul, where there's fullness of joy forever and ever and ever. Where we can't even begin to imagine the glory and the joy of that time. And yet we acknowledge that around us there are many who, who have these doubts. And so we pray that we would truly proclaim this truth to them. That there is hope in Christ Jesus. That the gospel is true. That Christ did rise from the dead after He paid for our sins on the cross. Father, we pray that You would bless this gospel as it goes forth, even from this congregation. And that you would truly draw many to faith in Christ and would join with us on that last great day, that great chorus of praise and thanksgiving as we stand in your glorious presence. Father, we just praise you and thank you for these reminders and that we, have, we are really just have this privilege to be reminded of this every Lord's Day, not just one day a year, but each week. We're reminded that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, that He was raised again, so that we might have life, that we might have peace and reconciliation with You, that we might be Your own special children. And so we pray for Your blessing upon these things, and that we ask that Your Spirit impress these upon our hearts. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.